Hey everyone, welcome to the Dorenda Wilson podcast. I'm Dorenda Wilson, wife to one, mom to eight, nana to six, and 25-year veteran homeschooling mom. Well, greetings from North Carolina. I don't know where you are right now, but uh, we are in the midst of uh, several days of rain, which is sort of making me sleepy and just (laughs) not really want to do anything. (laughs) that's not a bad thing because our life has been rather busy lately. But one project that I'm working on that I wanted to tell you all about um, is my she shed. Um, I've been wanting a place where I can go and podcast and have a little better audio and just a place where I can work um, and sort of take my head out of my house. Um, Those of you who work at home I know you understand what I'm saying. It's very challenging to work in the space that you live in. And uh, so um, I empathize with all of you who are trying to do that and homeschool. Um, you know, it, it's challenging, but, you know, God is good. And he has uh, given me the space and the time and everything that I need up to this point in the smaller space that we're in. But I am very grateful for this she shed. So recently... Um, I did a project project on it. So what, what happened was they delivered the shed and then um, I was gone right after that. It came the end of January. We were gone in Florida for a month. And so my daughter-in-law and my son uh, laid the flooring. I bought the flooring and the paint. And while I was gone, they laid the flooring and painted it inside, which was wonderful. Um, but then I needed to put up the acoustic panels. And so these are like little, um, they're like a sticky type of thing that you stick up to the wall. Can I just say this? I am no Joanna Gaines, let me tell you. I I was like a cat um, with tape on my paws through the whole thing, trying to get this thing up. And ultimately, my son ended up coming in and helping me finish it. (laughs) So kudos to all of you out there who are those people who can uh, transform a room or a house. Um, my husband's really good at it. Um, it. It's interesting because a lot of people assume that it's always the wife who does that. And, and I have opinions, uh, but and they've gotten a little stronger over the years. But essentially what I did through all the years, for the most part, was when we would move into a new place, I would tell my husband, I want it to feel like this. And I kind of like these colors. And that was it. And he did the rest. So... <laughs> Praise God for my husband. Uh, That happens to be what the podcast is about today. Today, we're going to be talking about marriage. But before I jump into that, I want to remind you all to go and subscribe to my website because as most of you know, I have a new book coming out in June called The 4-Hour School Day. Super duper excited about it. If you if you liked The Unhurried Homeschooler, I think you are going to love The 4-Hour School Day. I don't have a launch team. A lot of you have asked about that. What I'm planning to do is make all of my announcements about bonuses and incentives and all that sort of thing first on my website. So I would love for you to go and subscribe, dorendawilson.com. Super easy to do that. I think it's just right there on the homepage. And I would just love to welcome you into that community. Um, I am not going to lie, you guys. It has been a hard hard week. Now, by the time this podcast goes live, um, things will have likely settled down, at least I hope. Um, We recently experienced a family situation involving the young man that we opened our home and family to back in July. I think 
Some of you who've been listening longer know that he uh, was not in the foster care system. Um, We believe God brought him into our life and into our family. And so he's been with us since July. But the current circumstances um, were really proving to be complicated. Um, It's been a roller coaster ride, but it got particularly complicated recently. My husband and I were both just waiting on the Lord and seeking counsel together from a couple of other people that we knew were reliable resources. For instance, our pastor who knows the situation. You know, the Bible says that there's wisdom in many counselors. And I believe that uh, that means not too many because we get too many opinions. It it gets confusing and heavy and we lose uh, the ability to hear the Lord's voice. And that's happened to me a little bit um, because there's been other people weighing in on it. Um, But God has been really good to remind me of some things when it comes to making these kinds of decisions. And that's really what inspired me to do this podcast today because um, I have leaned really hard into my husband. I've been reminded of the beauty of the marriage roles that God has established in the beginning. He established back in Genesis. And now I realize that there are always abuses to God's the good that God has set out. You know, God establishes an order and then man mucks it up and messes it up and adds his own version, skewed version to it. The enemy does the same thing. And so I realize that there have been abuses of God's established roles when it comes to marriage, but it doesn't mean that the roles that he established are not good or are no longer applicable. And, you know, we live in a culture... It's very, very, very feminist. And I think it's really important to go back to God's word and reestablish what was God's original intention. So I want to shed a little bit of light on that again today and, and just sort of bring it back into focus before I share with you what God did in my own heart um, when it comes to the decision we needed to make and my leaning um, into my husband's role as the, as the head of our household. So I'm going to start in Genesis 2, verses 18 to 25. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Now, before I move forward, I want to 
I want to go through each of these verses. Let me finish with verses 24 and 25. So this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So um, I'm going to go ahead and go through each of these verses um, and just point out some really important pieces. Um, So verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So when God created the heavens and the earth, up to this point, everything, he had called everything good. This scenario um, about how it was not good for the man to be alone is actually the first negative assessment of an otherwise excellent creation. And God's assessment and care shows his concern for human support. So God doesn't want us to be alone, right? He knows that we as humans need support. And obviously there's support in other ways with other people and other relationships, but particularly this marriage relationship is one that most people participate in because it is something we were made for. Um, Obviously, God calls people to be single, and Paul talks about that that can be a really good thing and a real blessing, and it really can be. But again, the majority of us choose marriage. And God, because God knew that overall, we would need and want that kind of human support. So some of the things to, to, to notice in all of this is that God was choosing a helper that was just right for him, just right for the man, a perfect compliment made in the same image of God. So we get the very clear picture that we are equal, but different. I always think of it in terms of apples and oranges. Apples are delicious. They are a delicious fruit. Oranges are a delicious fruit, but They serve very different purposes. I personally am not really interested in an orange pie or an orange crisp. I love apple crisp and I love apple pie. So do you see what I'm saying? The point is they're equal, but they're different. And I think that's important to remember in this culture that wants to make us believe that if we honor God's roles, in our marriages, that somehow we are demeaning women. And nothing could be further from the truth. So let's move on here. Because God gave the man and the woman the same commission to tend and watch over the garden, right? There was no difference in the commission given. It was given to both of them. They were also obligated by the same prohibition, which was essentially not to eat, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the rules were the same for both of them. But also what we find in this passage is that man, the man could not fulfill his created purpose alone. So overall, in the big picture of things, God didn't create man to fulfill his purpose without a helper. And this is a beautiful thing. The world has made it out to be ugly 
and demeaning, but nothing could be further from the truth because God's plan was a good plan and it's still a good plan. And we know that we have imperfect people trying to walk out this God-given plan, but that's where redemption comes in. Let's move forward to verse 22, though. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. That right there, that is a picture of God the Father giving away his bride. Isn't that beautiful? I'd never seen that before, but I I found that in my notes um, of my study Bible. And I just thought that was such a beautiful thing to to notice and to uh, pull out of that passage. But essentially, marriage is a reflection of the Lord's relationship with his people. The church is the bride. Jesus is the groom. And now if we go on to verse 21 and 22, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Now, Adam recognized the woman as a helper who was just right for him. And in verse 23, his song observed and declared not their distinctions and differences, but their unity, their unity. The enemy loves to bring division, but God's role is about unity and a focus on unity, focusing on distinctions and differences is what can easily bring division. And now that's not to say that we can't acknowledge those distinctions, um, but making them a source of contention is, is just an important thing to avoid. My husband is different from me. And there are times that I find myself frustrated with those differences. But in the big picture, I actually really respect the good parts of those differences. It's the difference is, is, in look, is our focus. What are we going to focus on? So it's important to remember that God's plan and his good plan for us is a plan of focus on unity with one another. Verse 24 says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So one thing to notice here is that marriage is not just a human social construct, but it's rooted in the created order, and that makes all the difference in the world. If it were simply a human social construct, something that humanity just came up with willy-nilly, that would be one thing. We wouldn't take it as seriously. We wouldn't be quite so invested But the bottom line is, we believe that this is God's created order. And the difference is that it's what we were made for. We were made for God's created order. It is the most, marriage is the most fundamental covenant relationship among humans. It is a powerful image of the relationship between God's people and God, Israel and God, the church and God. And here's something that's very, very important to note. The family unit that marriage creates is the basic building block of humanity. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. 
It explains why marriage is attacked so vehemently by the enemy. And the enemy uses our the culture. The enemy uses other people. The enemy uses um, our own flesh. Um, the enemy uses um, even sometimes the church or ministry. And how that can happen is we place ministry above nurturing our marriages. We place ministry above our relationships with our husbands. This should not be. Another thing that sometimes happens is placing the pastor above our husbands. That's a difficult one because if there's a difference in theology or a difference in doctrine or a main principle, um, that can feel very divisive and we have to be really, really careful with that. Um, Asking God to show us how to honor our husbands when there is that kind of division there. Because it is essential that we honor our marriages for the sake of the glory of God, the reflection that it is on Christ, and also for the sake of our families. And if you'll notice in verse 25, it says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So marriage in its original form was one of innocence and trust. After the fall, however, vulnerability and shame became came onto the scene. And along with that, exploitation and humiliation. And that's what we see when we see um, man exploiting marriage, when we see abuses happening in marriage. Either way, when we see the ugliness of sin taking over that beautiful relationship that God wants um, to be to be beneficial, mutually beneficial for the couple, for the body of Christ, and for the family. In Genesis 3, verses 1 through 19, we read about the fall. And I'm not going to read that passage because it's a long one, but we are all familiar with what happened. You know what? Actually, I think I am going to read it because I think it's really important to have it fresh in our minds as I explain some of the um, some of the important things to note along the way. <clears throat> so now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you will bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And there you have it, guys. That's the whole story um, of the fall of man. And you find in verse 6 that Eve played a central role in the fall. But did you notice that man was clearly present and he was culpable or guilty or blameworthy, just as much as she was. As much as we laugh and sort of mock uh, the fact that it was a woman who um, who was deceived by Satan, can I just say a couple of things were happening here. Eve did not honor God, but neither did she honor her husband because she made this decision without his input. She didn't turn and ask him, what should we do? She saw it was delightful to her eyes. She was enamored by the temptation and she gave into it. The interesting thing is that at the same time, Adam was responsible to call Eve out. He had two chances in that passage to do that and he did not. He abdicated his role. He allowed Eve to take a leadership role in that situation. And then instead, when God inquired of them, right? He was evasive and he blamed Eve. So he did not step up to the plate. And so I find it interesting because this is the temptation that the culture is constantly placing on men in general. Basically, they're telling them, do not take a leadership role, abdicate that role to women. That is the enemy hissing at what God calls good. Now, again, I understand some of you bristle at the thought of submission, bristle at the thought of almost more of a feeling of subjection, but that is not what this is about. I guarantee you this is not what this is about. Jesus came to redeem everything in our lives. He came to redeem our marriages as well. Now, I would never encourage someone to stay in a situation that is not safe emotionally, mentally, physically. I would never, never do that. But I also know that it is tempting as as women, even as believing women, to take a leadership role in our marriages. 
And if we have our husband's permission to, in his go ahead, to go ahead and and utilize that strength, I can give you an example. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of believers, we talk about doing family devotions. <clears throat> well, this is something that my husband struggled with even remembering to do, and he didn't like reading out loud. So what I learned after a lot of going back and forth and a lot of, you know, me saying, but you should, you should, you should, and maybe he should, I don't know. But he just looked at me. He said, this is an area where I need you to be my helper. Will you remind me? And he said, I will read if you want me to, but I really love listening to your voice. And so we agreed upon that, that I would take up that role of reminding because I did typically remember I was in more of a routine with the kids than he was because he had to work. And so this was helpful to him. And sometimes he would read and sometimes I would read, but he was very good about engaging the kids in conversation um, in that scenario, but also just kind of throughout everyday life on a practical level. So that's how that worked in our marriage relationship. That's how that worked for me to be his helper. Is it perfect? I don't know. I don't. I just know that that's what we needed to do. And and I believe it. Our decisions honored God. So as we go back to this passage <clears throat> after the fall here, now we have a fractured marriage relationship, like I mentioned before. But it's one that. Jesus wants to bring redemption to and has full power to do that if we give him the authority over our marriages. So let's fast forward to the New Testament where God, God's God-given roles have not changed. They stay the same. They are established throughout Scripture. <clears throat> As we read in Ephesians 5 verses 22 to 33. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm getting kind of a dry spot in my throat here. <coughs> okay, so Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33. <clears throat> Let me read through that really quickly. Okay, I'm finding it. Be patient with me. 522. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. It's not Galatians, it's Ephesians. Oops. <laughs> My bad. Um, <clears throat> I love this passage, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. All right, here we go. Wives, this is always our favorite one, isn't it? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, 
Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So it's very clear that God is establishing once again the consistency from the Old Testament and into the New Testament that the husbands are the head of the households. But he also talks about the husbands prizing and cherishing his his wife, right? None of our husbands are going to do this perfectly. We can help them by telling them the ways that we feel cherished, by communicating clearly to them and encouraging them, thanking them when they do that, but they're not going to do it perfectly. The interesting thing about this passage and the part that I wanted to share with you that I love about it is it goes then into talking about children and parents and their relationship, and then it goes on to talk about um the bond bond servants and masters. So it's really talking about a work relationship or work situations. So what you have here is really all the main relationships of life, right? Paul has just talked about husbands and wives and children and parents and our relationships with our employers. But guess what happens right after that and where he ends Ephesians? He ends Ephesians talking about the whole armor of God. I'm going to read this to you because it's really important to note and establish that I believe that Paul goes on to talk about the whole armor of God because he knew that these other relationships would create massive spiritual battles. Okay, remember at the beginning I talked about how marriage is vehemently attacked because it creates that family that is a very, um, how did I... How did I word that? It's a basic, it creates the basic building block of humanity. So these marriages create the basic building block of humanity. So when the marriages are healthy, the the families are healthy. When the marriages are godly, the the families are godly. And, And the enemy knows this. So it's going to be attacked. And we need to recognize that. And we need to remember this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. Wow, we need to be aware of the spiritual battle that is going on, that's being waged over our marriages. So I just want to encourage you today with all of that background, um, I just wanted to, to revisit that and bring clarity to that because I wanted you to have that perspective as I share what, Uh, my husband, and my marriage has been based on and how it 
ties into the current situation that we were dealing with. So as we were praying and waiting on the Lord, and I just was not getting clarity, not getting it. And this has happened before. It's been a while, but it's happened before in our marriage. And God has gently reminded me that quite possibly I wasn't getting the clarity because it wasn't my final decision to make. And so as I looked back and the Lord sort of had me uh, look back over our marriage and the different times that that this same type of feeling has happened in the same, uh, the similar uh, scenario of not knowing what to do has gone on and on and on and happened in the past, he reminded me of what he told me to do then <clears throat> was to remember that this wasn't probably my problem to solve or my decision to make, that this actually felt squarely on my husband's shoulders. But along with that, I don't have to be ultimately responsible for the decision. And that was a relief to me. Having done my part, being supportive of my husband, talking with him, telling him all of my thoughts and feelings about it and letting him take all of that into consideration in his decision, um, that was where I landed with it. And then me being content with whatever decision he made. So let me just say here that my husband has proven himself trustworthy. And that didn't just happen overnight. Like I mentioned before, we've been at several impasses over the years. And when that frustration just wouldn't seem to settle down, I leaned hard into the role of my being helper and him being ahead of the household, but also remembering that ultimately he was the one that was accountable before God for that decision. And so we need to give our husbands the opportunity to make those decisions. And you know what? If they make a mistake, they make a mistake. Let God be the one that works through it with them on that instead of us. There are, there's a time and a place for us to say our part, for us to, um, you know, communicate what we feel about everything. But there's also a time to step back and let our men and God handle these decisions. Daryl is my covering. My husband is there as a protection for me. And that is especially life-giving when I am weak and vulnerable and often weak and vulnerable with anxiety and worry. So my encouragement to you today is if you're facing something that you, you feel like you're at an impasse, you don't really feel like you're getting clear direction, I would encourage you to talk about or think about and pray about the possibility of handing that decision off to your husband, encouraging him, telling him you respect him, you love him, you know that God can speak to him, and let him make the decision. God's roles are good. His plan was good. And even though Ultimately, that marriage relationship was fractured by the fall. Jesus came to bring redemption. We can lean into that. We can trust God with our marriages. And we can trust in God's established 
order of the marriage roles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together. God, thank you for the reminder of this good, good thing that you created when you created marriages. Thank you for our husbands who are our covering and our protection. Thank you that even though they're not perfect, God, we can trust you to work in their hearts. Help us to be the encouragement that they need. Help us more than anything to take up the armor and do the spiritual battle for our marriages, God. I ask that you would bind the enemy, that you would make his efforts fruitless when it comes to destroying biblical marriage. God, may we go back to the beginning. We, may we go back to the story of redemption. And God, would you cause our marriages to flourish. In Jesus' name, amen. 